Thanks for listening to The Chapel Podcast. At The Chapel Church, our passion is to share the hope of Jesus to individuals, the community, and the world. Listen in as Pastor Brandon Joyner shares an encouraging and challenging message from God's Word. So this morning we rejoice in those that have willingly given their lives to serve God on the mission field. Our vision here at the chapel is to share the hope of Jesus Christ with individuals, the community, and the world. Our first priority that God tells us to do is to share the hope of Jesus Christ with everybody we come in contact with. Those that we love, um, those that are loved ones, those that are in our family, those that are our friends, those that are our co-workers. That is our first responsibility. And I, I am, uh, I'm excited because I often hear from many of you about opportunities that God has brought into your life where you can share the hope of Jesus Christ. I, I just talked to somebody this past week. They brought it to my attention. They have a Bible study at their particular uh, workplace, and, and there's many students that go to that Bible study. Some do not know Christ. And after one of those particular Bible studies, a student came up to him and said, I want to know more about God. Can we meet? Well, of course, they were happy to be able to talk with him. And so they had a meeting with that person, and, and, I, and I've been told that they want to have another meeting as they continue to search. But that's our responsibility. That's what we've been called to do. And then our priority after that is to be able to get involved in the local church, and we, and we are ministering where God called us to be able to minister to. That's the Chapel Hill community. That's the surrounding community, Carborough, uh, Durham, Hillsboro. That is where God has called us to do. And then outside of that, we continue to spread the gospel all throughout the world by going on mission trips. And wherever God places us, we share the gospel there, but also by holding the ropes of our missionaries and going to uh, ways, uh, areas where we could probably never go to. And so that is why we are here this morning. We find this model all throughout the book of Acts, the church was established consisting of a body of believers, and, and many of you that have been part of our Bible study on Wednesdays, you've, we've talked about this as we've gone through this study of the book of Acts. What happened was, uh, Jesus Christ established the church. Peter started the church there in the, in the book of Acts, and so as it continued to grow and they shared the gospel, the church became it began to multiply. And so eventually, as we find ourselves in Acts chapter 8, uh, the church was then underneath intense persecution and they were forced to scatter and the church sent out its very first missionary, and that was Philip. And Philip went into Judea and Samaria and the the surrounding parts of Jerusalem, and that was the church's very first missionary. And so our model, being the New Testament church found in Acts, is our passion, as the same as theirs, is to make disciples and help disciples make disciples. And so we support missionaries that have that same model and that same passion. I was so encouraged to be able to hear uh, David's focus and Emily's focus for the area that God has called them to. And that was to first plant churches and then to disciple and to equip those disciples to then go and plant other churches. And that is the model. And his vision agrees with our vision, which most importantly agrees with what the vision is laid out in Scripture. And so since our church loves the things that God loves, we love our missionaries. And it is our joy and our responsibility to be able to hold the ropes of those that have been called to share the gospel in their particular field. But if we're not careful, we can do two things with our missionaries. First off, we can think of them as being superhero Christians. They're missionaries. They are clearly closer to God than what we could be. And so we place them on a pedestal which obviously is not healthy because human beings, they're still human, right? I think they would be the first one. You still struggle, just like we struggle. And so by placing them on a pedestal, we look at them as being, oh man, these are these great Christians. And so therefore, honestly, sometimes we don't pray for missionaries like we should. 
We don't pray for our pastors or our leaders like we should because we think they all got it, everything's good there, which obviously is not fair. And the other thing that we can do is we can put all this pressure upon our missionaries to share the gospel with our world. You go do it. That's what God calls you to do. And sometimes, and I praise the Lord that's not the case here, but sometimes if a missionary is working and they're doing the absolute best they can, but God has led them to a field where it's just hard to be able to reap fruit. It just takes a longer time. Sometimes churches and Christians can unfairly accuse that missionary of not working hard because they didn't see 35 people come to Christ in six months, seven months. I shared last week a statistic, and I think everybody in here can agree that Chapel Hill Baptist, I mean, we work hard. We do the absolute best we can to be able to share the hope of Jesus Christ with the community. We had seven people that, have been, that we know of, seven people that have been saved since um, Charter Sunday of last year. Seven people in a year. Praise the Lord for that. But others can look at that and say, man, seven? Really? Only seven? There's two things that they don't understand. The community that you've been placed in, every community is going to respond differently to the gospel. But here's the thing. None of us can save anyone. We weren't called to save people. We were called to share the gospel. And so as we share the gospel, as we plant the seed, God is the one who is going to bring that person and save that person through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so both of these things being unfair that we place upon our missionary, one places a human being on a pedestal, the other one just asks unfair uh, questions regarding that, regarding their fruit. But the responsibility of making disciples is not solely upon the shoulders of the missionary or of the pastor. It's a Christian's responsibility to help make disciples to lead people to Jesus. So in essence, we are all missionaries within our community. Matter of fact, Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines a missionary as this, a person undertaking a mission and especially a religious mission. So what is a missionary? It's every single person that has been saved by God. They are on a mission to make other disciples. And so I've said this before. I'll say it again. God has specifically given you a set of gifts to lead you in the position that you're in so that you can impact the people in the surrounding area where God has placed you. Give congratulations and order to Michael. He said, I can share this with him. But Michael now has passed his boards this past week. He's an officially a nurse practitioner. So congratulations, Michael. He's got it. Yeah, we can give him a round of applause. He, uh, he has a job now in Fuquay, Verena. Guarantee you that nobody else in this room works at the same place that Michael works at. And most likely, nobody's ever going to work in the place that Michael works at. But God has given Michael a specific set of skills and knowledge to be able to become a nurse practitioner to lead him to the job where he currently has. He, God provided that job for Michael so that Michael can impact people that he works around. And so all of our jobs with everyone is to be a, is to be a missionary for Christ. So I began to, as I was praying over this message, and God was really working in my heart, um, as He often does whenever I come before here, because God hasn't worked in my heart before I present God's Word this morning, then I should not talk, because that would be bad. But I was praying over this message, uh, I was thinking, you know, what, what can I do to both encourage our missionaries, but also at the same time encourage our church family? And I didn't want to talk about the necessity of supporting missionaries, because I really do believe in all of my heart that everybody in here understands that we ought to support missionaries. We understand that. I didn't want to talk about, hey, if God's calling you to become a missionary, then, then become a missionary, because I really do believe in the bottom of my heart that, that, that you all are in tune with that. 
You know that. Okay, yeah, I'm going to do whatever God calls me to do. So I began praying, and honestly, I started writing a message, and I looked at it, and I was like, I don't feel at peace about this, and I threw it away. And it started getting closer to Sunday, but I just couldn't get at peace with this message. And so I just kept praying, and God's like, he laid something upon my heart and said, why don't you call the missionaries and ask them? What should you preach on on Sunday? No, I didn't ask them that question. But I called our missionaries, and, and several of them that we support, who happened to be some of my close friends, and I sent a, a text message where I actually called Christine, and I asked her as well. I, said, I asked them this one question. I said, what can a church do? What is something that a church can do that would make you feel loved? What is something that a church can do to make you feel loved? And I began to listen. And based upon their responses, God led me to a subject this morning that I believe speaks more to a missionary than financial support. It's something that our church can do to keep a missionary going, even in their darkest of days. And I truly believe, with the bottom of my heart, that our church has something special. And I've heard this from many different people, not only inside of our church, but also visitors that have visited our church. And that is a genuine Christian love and community. I have heard on more than one occasion... Matter of fact, it was a couple that visited us not too long ago. We had them over for dinner, and we were just talking, and they brought this up, and, and, uh, and they gave me specific names, and so I'm going to give specific names here this morning. So when we first visited the church, uh, it, it was actually um, back to church Sunday, and so all of us were standing out there, and it was like we're all waiting for these visitors to come in, and so I had to apologize. Someone says, I'm sorry, we don't usually all stand out here in the front because it's a little intimidating, and they were real cool with it. And, and so I talked with them, and, and then they mentioned to me, they said, you know, when we first came to the church there, you introduced yourself as the pastor, you talked with us, but as soon as you were done talking with us, Mary was right over there talking and introducing ourselves. They got us checked in. and that felt, They made us feel very, very special. And so they made sure that we were, knew where we were going. They made sure we, we had everything that we needed. And as soon as Mary stepped away to go back over to the hospitality table, there was a direct connection from Mary to Russ. And Russ started talking to us. And Russ started making us feel at home. And I've heard that from many different couples on more than one occasion. And I've heard from you in this room, some of you sitting in this room, our church has something special. We're like a big family. And so as I began praying through this and, and, I, and I began thinking through, okay, what can we do in order to take the love that we have here so that other people feel it, I began to think about our missionaries. Whenever we vote a missionary on, they become part of the Chapel Hill Baptist family. They may not be direct members. Obviously, we don't see them here on Sundays, but they become part of our family. And so I became burdened with this thought. How can we extend our love that we have for each other to our extended family? How can we communicate the love that we have for each other to our missionaries in a way that they feel it? In a way that they feel it. And as I kept praying, God led me to a passage, and that's found in Philippians chapter 4. So if you can take your Bibles with you to Philippians chapter 4, that's going to be our passage here this morning. Philippians chapter 4, we understand that the book of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul, and it's considered one of the prison epistles because it was written while he was underneath uh, captivity. And so many uh, theologians believe that he was in Rome, in the prisons there. Some theologians refer to this type of imprisonment as more like a house arrest, Still in prison, but it's a little bit uh, more friendly than actually being trapped in a dungeon in shackles up against the wall. He was able to actually have visitors come to him. He was able to send things out. 
And so he wrote the book of Philippians as well as a few others. And so Paul's letters to the Philippians was written to the church in Philippi. The church of Philippi was started by the Apostle Paul during a second missionary journey. And this actual church here in Philippi was the first church ever planted on the European continent. The church of Philippi. It had a special place in the heart of Paul. We understand that Paul was a missionary and his goal was to plant churches, establish them, and then move on after he raised up a leader. But there was something special about the church of Philippi that set them apart from all the other churches that Paul associated with. And that was this. They continued to love on Paul. They continued to pray for Paul. They continued to maintain contact with Paul even after he left. In fact, the entire purpose of the book of Philippians is more or less a thank you letter to the church of Philippi. It's completely different than any other letter that was written to the church. You go from the book of 1 Corinthians, written to the church of Corinth, it was all like, you guys got a lot of problems, we need to work through this. And then you read the, uh, the book of uh, Philippians here, the, re- the letter to the church of Philippi, and it was thank you, thank you. It's the whole book's about joy. And the joy that Paul experienced because of the ministry that this church had. And Philippians has a different theme than any other letter, and that is this theme of joy. How joyful and special it must be, or it must have been, for a church of Philippi to receive such an encouraging letter from Paul. Paul knew that not only that his former church loved him, he, did, he not only knew that, he could feel their love that they had for him. And so Paul concludes this letter to the Philippians by specifically thanking them for his gift. And you can see the joy and the emotion that he has. And so we're going to read verses 10 down to verse 19. And if you could stand out of respect of God's word, and we're going to read Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10 down to verse 19. It says this, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care for me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere, and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again into my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Our goal this morning through these final words of Paul is to determine how we can show love and communicate love to our missionaries in a way that they understand. How joyful and humbling would it be someday to receive a letter from one of our missionaries that was like this letter that Paul sent to the church of Philippi. No church communicated with me. No church showed the amount of love like you show for me. The title of our message this morning is Loving Our Extended Family, How We Can Communicate Genuine Love to Our Missionaries. Thank you. You may be seated. Appreciate you standing out of respect. Communication can be tricky, right? 
Communication takes part when one side of the party believes or communicates with the other side of the party. That is communication, but there's a difference between communication that is good and communication that is bad. By definition, communication is, is a process by which information is exchanged between individuals through a common system of symbols, signs, or behavior. I don't need to stand up here and ask for you to raise your hand if there was ever a point in your marriage where miscommunication took place where you intended for something to be said and it came across to the other person as a totally different way of communication than what you intended it to. Bernard Shaw says this, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. But the problem is that we don't communicate. Here's the problem. We often communicate, but the communication taking place is not a type of message that we are intended to send. Just because we vote on a missionary and we faithfully support them through our tithes and offerings does not therefore indicate, does not mean that that missionary immediately understands that we love them. They're grateful for it. They need our financial support. They have to eat. But that does not necessarily mean that they know, man, Chapel Hill Baptist, they love us. They love us with all their heart because they get a check every single month. So how do we communicate in a way in which they can feel it. I'm sure that Paul felt the same way, and so he was grateful for the acts of love that was expressed. And so in doing this writing, Paul gives us three ways that we can communicate our genuine love to our missionaries. First off, number one, we share the burden of our missionaries. Paul begins this section by helping him understand that the church, and regarding his spiritual state, and really where he stood with God, we understand, and again, we remember that Paul was in prison. And there obviously would have been at some point in this, in this entire passage here where the church wanted to be able to, to express their love for Paul, but Paul says, I know that you wanted to show your love for me, but there was a point where I knew you couldn't. When he says here, the verse 10, it says, wherein you also were careful, but you lacked opportunity. You wanted to show love to me in a great way, but, but you couldn't. You financially just could not swing it. You were baby Christians. You just could not handle it. You weren't there yet. Paul acknowledges that. But Paul wanted them to be able to understand is that even though he's in prison, as he says in verse 11, he says, I don't need anything. In every state that I am in, I have learned to be content. In the hills and in the valleys, I've learned to be content. And then he says in verse 13, which I really believe in the bottom of my heart, this is one of the most misconstrued verses in all of the Bible. He uses the phrase, um, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It's not talking about the ability to dunk a basketball. It's not talking about the ability to be able to bench press 300 pounds. In this context here, what Paul is saying is that even in the most intense persecution that I find myself in, I can do all things through Christ. Because I don't find my strength and the responses that I get from other people. I don't find my strength and the fruit of my ministry. I don't find my strength in all these things. I find my strength in Christ and in Christ alone. And so if I can be an encouragement to the missionaries that we have here today, and for you that have, that have been witnessing and praying for your loved ones, if you don't see fruit right away, if something doesn't work out right away, don't be discouraged by that. It can be easy to do so. Find your strength in God and God alone. Understand this. I am serving God with the absolute best of my ability. And this is how I often remind myself. At the end of the day, if you were to stand before God and you were to give an account of your ministry, 
And God was to, and He was to ask you, did you do the absolute best you could to be able to serve me with everything that you possibly could? And you could answer that, yes, I did absolutely everything that I could in the best of my ability to serve you. It does not matter about the fruit of that ministry. God never gives a qualification based upon the fruit. He just asks that you would be faithful. So what Paul is saying here is that even while I'm in prison, even while I'm suffering this crazy persecution, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be sharing the gospel all across my land, but I can't. I find my strength in Christ. I can do all things through Him where strength is me. So after he lays out all of this groundwork and he acknowledges the joy that he has in his heart, even though he's in a crazy situation, he begins to address specifically the church in verse 14. He says this phrase in verse 14, Notwithstanding you have done well that you did communicate with my affliction. In the original Greek, the word communicate here means shared. And some of your translations may say that. The word shared means to join in partnership with someone. To join in partnership with someone. Paul commended the church of Philippi for joining in partnership with Paul and for sharing the burden that Paul carried. Every single person needs help. We were created to have relationships. And I understand that there's some personalities in this room that don't get energy off of social interaction. Matter of fact, they feel drained. If you feel more drained out of social interactions, would you just raise your hand? I'm drained whenever I had to hang around a lot of people. No, my wife's like that. That's introverted personalities. Me being the opposite of that, I'm energized when I'm around a bunch of people. So I'm not talking about a personality difference. It's like, hey, I don't need anybody. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, everybody has this need to feel like they belong, to feel like they connect to someone. And so in this sharing of this partnership, Paul, even though he was a very a much of a driving personality, still needed to feel appreciated by people. And one of the ways that they shared their burden was by, was by meeting his physical need. The type of gift that Aproditus brought was a financial gift. We see this through the phrase concerning the giving and receiving found in verse 15. It was a business phrase that was referred to expenditures and receipts. And so he was talking about the tracking that he needed to keep with the financial gift that they gave him. So by giving this financial gift to Paul, they were sharing the financial burdens that Paul experienced. So by being a missionary, Paul trusted that God would provide for him. It was a little bit different than how we do things today, which I'm not saying the way we do things today is wrong. It's what we did. But Paul didn't travel around and go to all these other churches and present his work and, 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 and pray that they would support him. Paul just went out and, and, and he just did it. When things operate a little bit differently today, you, you have to do that as you go out and you get support. It would be irresponsible to go to a field and not have any kind of support unless you already have a job lined up for yourself. But Paul was presenting his ministry, trusting that God, uh, as he was doing his ministry, trusting that God would provide. And, and as a result, he oftentimes experienced times where he had no funds left. And so we understand that Paul would go out and work a secular job. He was a tent maker. We use that phrase to explain bivocational pastors. They were tent making. But there was a, a moment in, in his ministry where his ministry became so uh, flourishing that he did not have time to devote himself to tent making and also to ministry because the pressures of ministry became so big. It was a good problem to have. So he had two choices. Number one, he would either have to leave the ministry for a short period of time not share the gospel with those that he was called to share and, and raise up support himself again by making these tents or to continue to serve the Lord and go hungry. Paul being the spiritual man that he was, the trusting man that he was, he went hungry. 
And so there were many times where Paul fasted and prayed, not only because he wanted to get closer to God, but because he literally did not have any food. But nobody knew that. Because Paul took to heart what the Bible says about fasting. Splash your face and, not, and let it not be known amongst other people because fasting is something we do between us and God. And so Paul, most likely in prison here, hardly had any possessions. He just trusted in God. But let me tell you something here. Philip, the church of Philippi, they had no idea Paul's financial situation. They had no idea. What happened was they were a church that was yielded to the call of God. They had a burden for their missionaries, and so they provided for this financial gift. And in that very act, Paul could see the love of God and the provision of God that the church of Philippi did for him, and the church of Philippi had no idea what they were doing and the type of love that that communicated to Paul. So the question here is, how can we share the burden of our missionaries? Just like the church of Philippi sent funds to Paul, we send funds to our missionaries on a monthly basis. And I want to explain to you really quick how we do that here at the chapel. We do not take any funds out of our regular church budget to be able to support our missionaries. Some churches do it differently, and that's, that's fine, but we don't. And the reason why we don't is because we take it from the book of Acts. We interpret that as the church had these funds to be able to set up for the church, and then when that need came about for the missionaries, they would take take a love offering, so to speak. They would sell their land. They would sell their possessions. They would take those funds and they would directly support those missionaries that continue to work in that area. God has placed us in our local church and that is the priority for us is our local church where God has placed us. And so we give our tithes and offerings to the local church, but faith promise giving is giving that we give to our missionaries above and beyond our tithes and offerings. It's sacrificial giving. And that's what Paul talks about all throughout here. He refers to this type of giving to him by the church as a sacrificial giving. And so we support our missionaries through what is known as faith promise missions. And so there's a few families in our church here that give specifically to missions above and beyond their tithing. And so it's with those funds that we're able to support our other missionaries. The question has been asked to me is a great question by somebody that was, that, that, that's in our church, and he said, how, how are we able to support so many missionaries if we're trying to become self-supported? And there's two answers that I can give to that. Number one, we don't impact our church budget through our missionaries. But number two, we're still called to support missionaries and to further the gospel. And so faith promise missions being that, what that is, we're going to continue to support missionaries through faith. And so with that being said, this past year, since January up until this point, the families in our church that have given to Faith Promise Missions have given so far a total of $4,500 to missions. And that's been able to support our families and special missions projects as well. And so this morning, I would urge you that you would pray about an amount that you can contribute. It could be a monthly basis, a yearly basis, whatever is between you and God, that you would give above and beyond your tithes and offerings to specifically support our missionaries. So the, the funds that we have can further the gospel in our, in our area. It's, it's easy to do that. Um, if you give checks, and that's how you still write checks, uh, you still do that, that's fine. Um, I don't even know where a checkbook is. But if you still write checks, you can either put it on a tithe envelope, missions, or you can write it in the memo. This is for missions. If you give online, there's a little box that says missions, and you can give directly to missions. If you give cash, then you can put it in a tithe envelope and just mark it, missions. So that TJ knows exactly where to put those funds. But we want to be faithful in our giving to our church. But whatever the Lord allows or burdens you in your heart, 
We do it out of a giving heart, of a sacrificial heart. And so we do this, we show love to our missionaries by giving to them. And the second thing that we do for our missionaries to be able to help them understand our love for them is by sending encouragement to our missionaries. Number two, we send encouragement to our missionaries. Verse 15, Paul says again this phrase, No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Paul was encouraged by the financial support that he received from the church. The church of Philippi was a breath of fresh air to Paul, encouraging him while he continued to serve the Lord. And my prayer is that Chapel Hill Baptist will continue to be a breath of fresh air to our missionaries that are on the field. And if there's ever a lonely position, it's the missionaries. Serving the Lord in a completely different country. David mentioned that one of the prayer requests that he has for his family, completely understandable, is that they would be able to adapt to the culture of Tunisia. I don't think I'm stepping out on a limb to say that Tunisia, Africa, is completely different in their culture than the United States of America. It can be lonely. Not too many people probably speak English there. My prayer is that Chapel Hill Baptists, in their own little way, can be a breath of fresh air to our missionaries that are fighting the battle, oftentimes facing that loneliness. As I mentioned at the beginning of the message, I was praying about what the Lord would have me to say. And, and I spoke to the several different missionaries that are actively serving the Lord. And every single one of them said, this is how we could feel loved. This is how we could feel loved. And that is intentional communication. Intentional communication. What does this look like? First off in your notes, it looks like this. Periodic notes of encouragement. Handwritten. Believe it or not, handwritten's the best. Because nobody does that anymore. My wife, um, her grandmother, sweet, sweet lady, definitely spunky, and I hope she listens to this message, um, but a lovely, godly lady, she told us when we first started going towards uh, deputation, she said, I want to be able to contribute to you personally every single month. I said, Grandma, that's really nice of you to do that. It's one thing if she just sent us a check every month. She doesn't do that. She writes us a handwritten letter every single month, telling us about the weather in Nebraska, um, some things that are happening at our house. You know how encouraging that is? I opened up the drawer this morning, and all of her letters are stacked up from where we saved. The money's great. It's fine. Like, we, we, yeah, it's great. You know what it means more to us? It's a handwritten note from a grandma. That encouragement. Cards on birthdays and anniversaries. Text messages or emails that simply say, hey, David and Emily, I prayed for you this morning. Prayed for you this morning. That's free. You can do that for free. Little cards to the why. I love this final point here. I was asking my wife. I said, what would communicate love to you? And I was talking on the phone with Jake Garrisonoff. Many of you know Jake. I said, what would communicate love to Amanda? And he goes, money. I said, are you speaking on behalf of Amanda? Or are you speaking, like, actually Amanda would say that. And he started laughing. He said, no, 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 no. Uh, and Eileen said the same thing. What would communicate love to me is if somebody gave us a gift card and they said, you are not to use this on your family at all. This is for you, you. I remember last year, um, my wife was called up front. And it hurt me because I never benefited from it. But she was called up front, and the ladies of the church gave her a gift card, and they said, this is for you and you only, to my wife. She cried that afternoon because of the love that she felt and the overwhelming thought that she felt. Two weeks ago, anniversary Sunday, we were called up front, and uh, I, I don't know who was in charge of getting this together. 
But the church gave us a gift. They gave us a gift card to go get something to eat, and they gave us some money. That means more to us as a pastor. That's the type of stuff that keeps a pastor going. That's the type of and I'm not talking about money, oh, now we can go buy something. No, it's the thought that counts, literally the thought that counts. It's seeing from a tangible way the love that the church family has for their pastor. That's what keeps the winds in the sails. You never will fully know the impact that you make upon that missionary by just doing those little things. When I get home, oftentimes from work, Eileen, uh, she's at, around with the kids all day, and, and Kaysen, he can talk pretty well, but it's not like talking to a 30-year-old, talking to a 3-year-old. And so we sit down at dinner time, and, and sometimes I am talking to people all throughout the day. And so the last thing I want to do has nothing to do with Eileen. The last thing I want to do is actually have a conversation. I'm just being honest. But Eileen says, I just want to be able to talk with you because I want to talk to an adult because she's been around kids all day. And I began to think about this from a missionary standpoint. Missionaries are giving their lives, and very rarely do they have seasoned Christians that are out there. Sometimes they just want to talk to another Christian. And when we can reach out to them in a loving way and let them know, hey, we're praying for you. We're going to love on you. That gives wind in their sails. So you see in your little bulletin there, there's our missionaries. This gives you some information there. It gives you the birthdays, anniversaries, some email addresses there to contact them. Um, Christine serves on the mission field, and that is a closed country. And so if you want to send her something, just send it to the Chapel Hill Baptist address, and then we'll make sure that she gets it uh, in the way that would not jeopardize her ministry where she is serving. But Paul says in verse 17, he wants to make it clear once again. He says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire a fruit that may abound to your account. What Paul was saying here is that it was not the gift that most encouraged him. It was the fruit of the spiritual growth of the church of Philippi that most encouraged him. What Paul was encouraged by was the faithfulness of the gospel and the priority for eternity that the church of Philippi possessed. The faithfulness of the church kept Paul going. Paul could see the fruit of a group of people that were totally sold out for the furtherance of the gospel. It wasn't the gift itself that kept Paul going. It was the thought and knowing that he was not the only one faithfully serving God. That's what kept him going. When we show a love to our missionaries through what we believe to be small acts, we are encouraging them to keep fighting for the Lord, to keep serving, to keep pressing on. We are reminding them that while they may feel alone, there is a group of people in Chapel Hill, North Carolina that has their backs, that love them, and they are praying for them as they serve the Lord. You're not in this alone. You're not in this by yourself. We're back here serving the Lord with you together. We're all in this together. And so as we send these little notes of encouragement, it makes them feel loved. Here's the final thing that we can communicate genuine love to our missionaries is by showing love that God has for our missionaries. We show the love that God has for our missionaries. In verse 18, Paul says, But I have all, and abound, I am full. To make sure that they weren't interpreting this letter to mean that Paul wanted some more money, he was making sure that they understood that everything that you've given me and because I find my identity in Christ, I am full. I completely am about. I am full and then some. I am completely good. 
George Mueller was a famous Christian philanthropist, and many of you know the story about him. He wanted to be able to show the people that he was ministering to, the people that he lived around in England, in a tangible way, the testimony that God was still alive and that he was still active in our world today. And so we set up these orphanages. But in doing so, he made it a mission to never ask for support from anyone other than God. And so he would oftentimes uh, get to the very ba- uh, down to the very bare bones of, of, of his resources, and rather than ask Asking the context that he had, he just prayed to God, and God would provide for that. He wanted everybody to understand that in God, he was completely full. But Paul doesn't stop there in verse 18. He says in verse 18, Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. What he was referring to there in the Old Testament, the way we understand they had a sacrificial system, the only way that that sacrificial system or that sacrifice would be acceptable is if that person was doing it out of the right heart. If they were doing it out of a heart to be able to love God and to serve God, then God accepted that. That was a smell of a sweet-smelling sacrifice. What Paul was doing is he was comparing that in a New Testament way, because we don't sacrifice animal sacrifices anymore. He was comparing that giving that that church gave to Paul out of their heart of sacrifice, out of a heart of love, to a sweet-smelling savor before the Lord. He said, because you've given sacrificially, because you've given with all of your heart, God is acceptable and He's well-pleasing of that. When we yield ourselves over to God and we pray that God would use us to encourage our missionaries, God will guide us and direct us to give in a way that will directly impact our missionaries and help our missionaries understand that God loves them. So in essence, what God is doing through your giving is He's using you to communicate His love for that missionary. When I was uh, first raising support, um, we, things were coming in a little bit slow, and I knew that we had to have X amount of funds in order to be able to plant a church down here, and I knew that we needed some equipment. And so uh, I had received some you know, difficult news, not, something, not anything too crazy. And so I called up my dad, who's a mission pastor of the Sending Church, and I was just telling him about some of these things. And he said, Brandon, you just need to trust in God. So I am trusting in God, but I feel like the more I trust in God, the harder things get. What's up? And so he's like, you just need to trust in God, and he's going to provide. I kid you not, within 10 minutes... I received a phone call from a man by the name of Stan Hess. And Stan Hess had his own company. He called me up and he said, how are things going for the ministry? And I said, oh, you know, they're going great. I, I, we're just, you know, we're, we're trying to, I guess it was a little bit of a lie. I said, but we're, 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 you know, God's providing for us. And we're just trusting in him. And so he said as response to that, I said, you know, the Lord's laid upon my heart to be able to give towards your ministry. Not to give to you personally, but to give towards your ministry $4,000. And that was the exact amount that I knew that we were short in our goal that we were trying to achieve. And it was in that moment where God told me, it was a rebuke to me, where God told me, Brandon, relax. Relax. It's all good. I've called you here. I'm therefore going going to provide a way for you to get there. But God used Stan Hess to show God's love for me to me. And my prayer is that God will use Chapel Hill Baptist to do the same. Perhaps this morning as we close here, there is one that is wrestling with this thought of sacrificial giving. It sounds scary. It is. It wouldn't be called sacrificial giving if it wasn't scary. But giving towards missionaries, it requires faith. Or it wouldn't be sacrificial giving. In a few moments, we're going to take up a love offering for David and Emily and also for Nadia and for Bobby as well. But I would ask that you would pray. You can give online as well.
But I ask that you would pray about an amount that God would lay upon your heart to be able to help these families go and share the gospel. But I want to close with this verse here. Paul went back and he compared that gift, whatever that amount was, to the church of Philippi and what he knew about the church. And he started doing calculations in his mind and he knew the church and he realized, okay, the amount that they just gave me, that church does not have that kind of money. It clearly was a sacrificial effort on the whole of that church. And so understanding that the money that they gave, the church really could not afford, but they were giving it sacrificially to be able to help Paul, he writes this final verse here in this section. In verse 19, this is what Paul says. But my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I want to read that together. But my God shall supply all... Together means everybody out loud. But my God shall supply all of your need according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He wanted the church to understand that I, I got it. You gave sacrificially. But I want you to understand something. My God, He's going to supply all of your needs. Sacrificial giving requires faith. We, we spend money on things that we want to spend money on all the time. But how much of a better way for us to be able to invest our money than to spend it on the kingdom of God? Our God will supply all of our needs according to His riches. Praise the Lord, it's not according to mine or anybody else's, it's according to His. And He will give us far more than what we could ever ask or think.